the World Nomads podcast bonus episode. Hear amazing nomads sharing their knowledge, stories and experience of world travel. Welcome to the World Nomads podcast. If you think it sounds different, that's because it does. We are live on the streets of Melbourne. We've flown down from Sydney to interview who? Perhaps the most amazing of amazing nomads. This is the man who started it all for many backpackers. If Helen of Troy launched a thousand ships, then this man has launched at least a million backpackers. It's Tony Wheeler, co-founder of Lonely Planet. Let's do it. We are at the moats in Melbourne in Victoria, Australia, and we have travelled, in fact, literally, I have caught this morning, a ferry, a train, a plane and a cab to speak to who the New York Times says is the godfather of travel among backpackers and the adventurers. Tony Wheeler, how do you respond to that description of yourself? Are you the godfather? No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just another traveller, basically. But that was a good trip this morning, and I'm, I'm immediately thinking you took the train from somewhere in Central to... Um, Circular Quay. to the airport. Now, last time I was in Sydney, I tried to evade that because, um, you know, they, they charge you, what is it, $14 or something to get off the train yep. at Sydney Airport, which is absurd. So I thought, how long does it take to walk to the first station where they don't hit you for the $14? It takes about 20 minutes I think, to, to walk well, to okay. Mascot Station. We, we have a friend who lives nearby to the airport. This is... Oh, Tilds. Tilds. Uh, and he does that when he get, arrives at the yeah. airport. He, or the he other walks. thing you can do is you can just get... You can you don't save $14, but you can save $6 or something by going to Mascot, getting off the train and getting on the train again. Okay, thank which you. Which is completely absurd. <laughs> Are these the sort of tips that you like to provide? <laughs> no, it just, it just annoys me so much, you know. I, I, and, this, and this is how the books were born. <laughs> exactly. Well, I paid $18 for yeah, your information. Yeah, yeah you plus would, yeah. Um, eight should, on the ferry. Well, you, when it should be $2.67 or something. Yeah. Well, it should it's be free. You should, yeah, I mean, public transport should be free and more well, people yeah, would use yeah. it and people would get out of their cars. And some countries are doing that. You know, I think Estonia has just started doing that. Well, you're the founder. Let's get into it. You're the co-founder alongside of your wife of Lonely Planet, absolutely synonymous with anyone that has ever travelled. In fact, you, you got in at ground level. You predated the digital era. Uh, do you think your story, your life story, would have been different had have you thought of a, um, a guide, a travel guide, say, oh, yeah. Yeah, in I mean, the I can, late that 80s? Was a, that was a sliding door thing. You know? yeah. I could have... I could have done something entirely different. But I don't want to claim that I'm the, the first at all because, you know, there were Bedeker's guides and Murray's guides a century earlier. And I always think um, Arthur Fromer, you know, who did Europe on $10 a day, he was a real a 50s pioneer, just like we were sort of 70s pioneers. So what was different then? I mean, you weren't the first couple no. to travel down through South East. You weren't, you no. weren't the first couple we to write were, about we it. You the, probably, and you weren't the first people to publish about no, it. So what was different? Uh, you know, we were... I'm going in a few days' time to a, someone doing a hippie trail talk. And, of course, there were lots of people on the hippie trail. The only difference is that we made a business out of it. <laughs> That's the only, the only thing, really. And I, and I guess it was that, you know, we were, we were there at the, the time. It was the, the baby boomers were travelling. The hippie trail was taking them further than they'd gone before. The jumbo jets were taking off. You know, there were, there were all sorts of... Um, of Things that, that that made things work, and we just happened to be somebody who jumped on the 
jumped on the wagon. What was the moment where you go, I, I, I like this, you know, on the cheap book that we've written. When was the moment where you said, let's make a publishing empire? <laughs> Which oh, looked the like fir- a cheap book too, by the way. It was a cheap book, yeah, yeah. I mean, that first book, the first book was an accident. We didn't sort of set out thinking, we're going to do this trip, we're going to do a book about it, we're going to create a business. It was just, we did the trip, then we thought we should do a book about it, and then when the book was successful, which it was, we thought, hmm, Here's an opportunity. I know why you were you're so um, across spending money in Sydney because you, when you first arrived there, you had 27 cents, so yeah, you would have been that, looking. That wouldn't at have got me. I would have had to walk all the way from the airport. <laughs> yeah, you would have so what did you do when you arrive in a city? The 27, 27 cents. cents. Look for a job. <laughs> That's the, well, you know what? What you do is, for, for, if you have something, you know, if you only have 27 cents, you're stuffed. But you know, if you've got a camera, which I did have or something you can, you know, flog. You, you walk up to the cross, as we did, and you find a loan shop, and they give you 25 bucks for your camera. What does $25 buy you? Well, in fact, this is a long, long time ago. It, um, it bought us a, a room for a week for $16. <laughs> you, could, you could get a room in Sydney for 16 bucks. I'm, I'm just thinking of, do you know the movie Doctor Strangelove, you know, when the plane is flying over Russian territory and they're going through the emergency rations, you know? It's like two packets of chewing gum, a packet of nylon, $25 in cash, 25 rubles, and, and the actor goes, shoot, a guy could have a good time in Vegas on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much that way. We had still a few dollars left to buy some food, but then Maureen got a job that afternoon, so, you know, and working in a milk bar, and, you know, milk bars, you get to bring the food home at the end of the day if it isn't, if it's perishable and isn't eaten. And So what, so what year was that? 72, end okay. of 72, right at the very very last couple of days of 72. And I'll just point out again, we are live at the moat in Melbourne with Tony Wheeler from the co-founder of Lonely Planet, not yours anymore. Um, as Phil said at the start, you, you build a multi-million dollar empire, so you haven't had to fill out an application for a job or knock on the door of a milk bar. Yeah. How's it changed your life? Oh, enormously. Uh, you know, it's like, I don't have to. In fact, you know, it, it kind of worries me that it, um, that maybe it makes you lazy because, you know, I, I do write articles and, you know, do this and do that, but, you know, but I don't have to. And um, I sort of think maybe, if, you know, if I was, oh, shit, I need another $500, you know, I'd better write a story for somebody and get 500 bucks, you know. It would, it would, you know, push you to do more if you had a little bit of financial urge, urgency. Although, when when you first sat down and grabbed your coffee, um, Phil Phil asked you what you're doing these days, and you were able to reel off seven or eight things that that were feeling firm. Yeah, I'm not getting bored. No, I'm not getting bored. And not bored of travel? No, I still really enjoy travel. In fact, you know, if if I had more time, I'd do more of it. Do you travel differently, though? Or do you still like travelling the old way? Well, you know, the, the, the... I talk about you know, the standard questions I get asked, and you know, one of them is, "What is your favourite place?" Um, then the next number two is, "What is the most dangerous thing that's ever happened to you?" And the third is, "Is um, is there somewhere you never want to go to again?" Um, and then the fourth usually is, um, "I, you know, you used to travel on five dollars a day. Do you still do that?" I no, wasn't talking not. about five dollars a day, but <laughs> no. I was talking about. You know the well, way, and the things that will know sense for, like connecting with the locals, and, oh yeah, and you, you know, know, getting out there and getting off the beaten I, path. I really rather like the, you know, at the end of every year, I look back on the, you know, I, you know I'm terrible. I keep 
you know, boxes for everything and note everything down. I can't stop doing that. So I can look back over the year and say, what was the most expensive hotel I stayed at? You know, and there's usually something, you know, you've gone somewhere and it's way over $500 a night. You know, there's, there was one in Miami a year or two ago. It was over $1,000. And I, I said to them at the end, why is this place so expensive? And they said, oh, it's, you know, it's a, this is happening or that's happening. Um, but equally, you know, there will be somewhere in the year where there has been somewhere for five bucks because you know, that was the only place in town. And that year it was um, a mission guest house in the Solomon Islands. All right, well, which one was better, a thousand bucks a night or...? Oh, they're both great. Okay. <laughs> you are a living, breathing version of my favourite saying, look after the pennies and the pounds take care of themselves. So it doesn't matter how much money you've got, you don't just blindly play, yeah. pace, you know... $12 for a bottle of water and a mini bar in a hotel, you are I hate white. doing that. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I hate doing the $12. I, I don't mind, you know, if I was somewhere where, you know, you really need to try this wine and it's $50 a glass, I'd say, yeah, I should try it. And I'd pay the 50 bucks. But if it was $12 for a bottle of mineral water out of a... It's terrible. <laughs> it's a tap over there. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. It is a major rip-off. Okay, this, this question I want to ask you because it's just an example of how determined you are, I guess, and and a little bit... For me, it's a little bit crazy. <laughs> Tell us about what happened, not not necessarily North Korea, because we've talked to, spoken to people that have told us that it's not real and they've described their experiences. But you went to the DMZ or the yeah. DMZ. And I would like you to share that story because... I, I think I've shared it too many times. But yeah, yeah but I went first down time the, for us. You know, and it's a, it's a wonderful name, isn't it? The demilitarised zone, where you've got two armies, you know, facing each other off, <laughs> ready to launch nuclear war if Donald Trump, you know, lifts the phone on each other. It, it, it's so far from DMZ or DMZ as you can possibly get. You know, it's just ridiculous. But there there is, uh, you know, they've got two buildings facing each other across the ceasefire line and the South Koreans are on, backed up by the Americans are on one side and the North Koreans are on the other but then right in the middle they've got this little hut and the, the hut is where they, they meet to discuss putting off World War 3 and, and, and there's a door into the hut from both ends, one door from the North Korean end and one door from the South Korean end and in the middle of the hut is a, a table with chairs around it that they can sit around and the dividing line goes right through the middle of the table. So, you know, one, one end of the table is in North Korea and the other end of the table is in South Korea. And you can go into this... And I, can, I won't go into the hut from North Korea. You know, I've come down from Pyongyang. And I go into the hut and there's two North Korean soldiers guarding the door into South Korea. So you cannot escape into South Korea. But you can walk around the table and you can go North Korea, South Korea, North Korea. You know, you can, you can sit on the dividing line and have one leg in North Korea and one leg in South Korea. You know, it's completely absurd. And there was an occasion some years back, back when the Russians were still around, when some Russian tourists came in there and one of them decided to make a break for freedom and, you know, push the um, North Korean soldiers aside. And the door's not locked. Open the door and burst out into South Korea. Well, then the North Koreans and South Koreans started shooting at each other. And I think five people died. Oh, not the escapee. The Russian woman <laughs> got away. But, you know, five North and South Koreans killed each other. Well, you, you were determined to walk through that door, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I thought, geez, I have to come in that other door. But, the, but you can't walk around the hut and come in the other door. The only way to get from 
the North Korean door round to the South Korean door without dying is to go back to Pyongyang, go back to Beijing, go from Beijing to Seoul, take a tour from Seoul up to the, the DMZ again, or DMZ, and, um, you know, come in from the South Korean door. And then, and then you're in the hut, the same hut, but now you've got a South Korean guy doing this sort of Taekwondo pose, stopping you escaping into North Korea. And that's and that's when the North Korean soldiers said, "Not you again." <laughs> well, there were no North Korean soldiers. But well, they can look in the window. They can look in the windows from the North Koreans. <laughs> hey, come here! I think it's that Tony bloke that we had a couple well, of weeks ago. South Koreans photograph you. You know, it, it's just wonderful. Borders fascinate me. So, me too. Uh, and the fact that you can step over a border, which seems to have some sort of you know political significance, but in actual fact. Is an imaginary line in the air. I yeah. love borders. I, I do too. I think they're just, they're completely wacky and, you know, and there's all sorts of them. You know, the, the Indians and the Pakistanis have that one that they close every night and do all the marching back and forth and, you know, that, that, that's an absurd border. But there's, there's crazy borders all over the place. And that horrible little no-man's land in between border posts which is, yeah, yeah, you know, where all horrible things can happen if you get stuck in there. Yeah, yeah. I know the, the other one that I've, I've seen just recently is the, um, the border between um, the two Cypresses. You know, oh, right, cause, which um, is starting to come down a bit, though, isn't well, it? Well, it's sort of come down. You know, it was totally closed off for many years. And, you know, now it's, you can, and I, 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 I only, I've only been there once. I went there last, late last year. And, you know, I stayed on one side, and one, there were a couple of nights I was staying on the south, the Greek, the Republic of Cyprus side, and I, I used to wander over into the Turkish side to have a beer and a meal and then come back. So you cross this border, and the, and the border is a border line at places, but there are some places where it's, you know, a couple of hundred metres wide, and it does actually, there is one place where it's the whole airport wide. The old airport is in this no-man's land. Can we get back to the books? Anyone that has ever travelled has had a Lonely Planet book. Yeah, probably. I reckon it's, I'd like yeah, to do there's a survey. six degrees of separation. You know, here in Melbourne, everybody you ever meet either work for Lonely Planet, their brothers work for Lonely Planet or sister, their schoolmate, their flatmate, their, you know, there's... Yeah. Six degrees. Well, in my early days of travel, it was the go-to book. Okay, yeah. I'm thinking of going to Japan. Better go and buy the Lonely Planet yeah, book on yeah, Japan. Just... And wouldn't do anything outside of what was featured no, in the book. Yeah, it's like that a was Bible. a big advantage that LP had, is they had a book on everywhere. So, you know, if you go into the picture, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere. Oh, your Lonely Planet will have one. So, you know, that was a... Rough guys used to complain about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, which leads to this question. How did you feel about people ripping the appropriate chapters out oh, <laughs> and only Lord, taking those? No, yeah, that's great. Because that's know. what everybody did. Right? Just yeah, take tear, the bit you tear want. them up, then you need to buy another one next time. <laughs> I mean, and now you can just download you can download the chapter you want, which is what I do. I know you're not part of Lonely Planet anymore, but I had a look at some of the books on the weekend, and there are a lot of hard copy now, so almost more like coffee table books. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's been the biggest. I mean, the two areas that have I mean, it's been ten years now since I left, and we did um, travel with children books. We did. I think there might have been a couple before I left, but I was never a great believer in it. But now it's a whole separate division, you know, for all these children's books. You know, they've got a children's book publishing. And the other thing, as you say, is all these coffee table books. Every time I turn around, there's another one. (laughs) Unbelievable. You say that with a little bit of disdain. Yeah, maybe I do. I I don't, you know, it's fine. You know, I think it's a really good thing they're doing it if it makes money. What I used to really like about it to, to some extent, and that's just, you know, the world has changed. 
Yeah, when I, I said about staying at a $5 a night um, um, mission place in the Solomon Islands a couple of years ago. And, you know, I found that in the old Lonely Planet Solomon Islands guide, but it wouldn't be there today because, you know, that, that whole sort of island group gets a paragraph where it used to get 10, 10 pages. Yeah. And that's ju- justifiable because nobody goes there. And, you know, and you can't... You know, we used to do it because we were stupid. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, you've got to but make... it's beautiful, Solomon Islands. It is lovely. And, you know, I, I've had... I've only been there a few times, but I've really enjoyed it. But there, there aren't enough people going there. You know, you can do lots of things that, uh, that you know, the, the, a small audience would absolutely love it, but you can't do it just because a small audience loves it. You've got to sell it to lots of people. And that's realistic, and I, I can totally understand that. It's not a charity, it's a business. Nice segue, though. Speaking of charity, after you left Lonely Planet, you set up um, a foundation. Well, we didn't, actually, because that was, a, that was there at Lonely Planet. Oh, right, OK. I mean, it, it, it was the... It was called the um, Lonely Planet Foundation, and it was there within Lonely Planet, and it had a couple of, it had a, you know, office space, a desk or whatever at Lonely Planet, and a couple of people who were Lonely Planet employees working for it, but we couldn't very well sell Lonely Planet and say, oh, and by the way, you've taken over philanthropy, you know, so we, we pulled that out and set it up separately. So essentially, the Planet Wheeler Foundation is the old Lonely Planet Foundation. Right. And explain what it does. It does really the same things that it did as um, Lonely Planet. It does education and health in the developing world. And that's mainly in Southeast Asia and, um, and Africa. And it's really the balance is shifting more to Africa and less to Southeast Asia because Southeast Asia can look after itself in many ways. You were not pioneers of guidebooks, but were you, you know, like on the leading edge there of setting up these sorts of foundations no, I, I think people as well? No, I don't think so at all. I, I think there are lots of people who um, who do lots of good things and, you know, and keep a very low profile about it. What yeah. do you think of the modern-day travel blogger? You know, the couples that are in their 20s that decide, I don't want to sit in an office <laughs> nine to five. Well, I think of two things in this. One, one is I, I'm speaking at a, um, a thing in, um, in Boston in June a guy called, uh, he calls himself Nomadic Matt. Matt Klepnus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's, doing, he's putting on something in um, Boston and I'm, I'm going over there to speak at that. There was um, a young couple who stayed with, they were friends of friends who, who stayed with Maureen and I last, last year for a couple of weeks when they were in Melbourne. And I think they'd be defined as influencers. That's the word, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. And I couldn't understand what the hell they were doing at all. <laughs> it went right over my head. But, I've, I've, I mean, bloggers, influencers, they're all all right. They're on there. It's a living. <laughs> and some people make a great living at it, yeah. you know. And One of the questions I often ask our bloggers, it's not my standard go-to, but when you're travelling somewhere and the reason why you're not behind a desk anymore is because you want to travel, what are your eyes doing? What are you looking for? Are you looking for the story? Are you looking for the well, photo? Yeah, are think, you immersing yourself? Well, I, think, yeah, I think people who are doing that definitely are, you know, looking at how can I flog this? How can I influence this? How can I take photographs, videos of it? And... Um, you know, thank God I haven't got to do that. Listen, when we were just getting set up before, you, you mentioned in passing that you... Um, I mean, you've lived in Melbourne for a long time, but you said it was kind of by accident. Yeah, well, I, when I first turned up in Australia, it's the tail... It's the other end of the hippie trail, you know. It starts in, it starts in London. Kathmandu is the midway point or 
the finish line in one direction or whatever, and you know Australia is the other end. So we started off from London, we ended up in Australia, and you know we intended to stay for three months, but we ended up staying for a year, and we stayed that year in Sydney, um, as you do. And at the end of that year, we started out heading back to London, and after a year, we got as far as Singapore, um, and wrote the second book. And then we sort of thought, oh, now what do we do? And we thought, ah, oh, why don't we have another year in Australia? Because we'd, we'd actually, we'd, we'd left Australia thinking we'd left forever. And we'd packed all our stuff up in a suitcase and, you know, mailed it back home and um, thought we were following after it. So we um, then you turned in Singapore and came back to Australia and we thought, well, we had a year in Sydney, let's have a year in Melbourne. So we came down to Melbourne for a year here I still am, many, many years later. So it was a total accident. If it had been the other way around, if I'd gone to Melbourne first, we'd be doing this in Sydney today. Well, it would have been cheaper for me. Yeah, especially that, <laughs> that train ride to the airport. I've lived in various cities for 12 months, which you know, is long enough to say. I lived in Paris for a year once. I lived in San Francisco for a year. And both of them, at the end of that year, if someone said, you can't go home, your, your passport has been, you know, banned for, you know, you've got to stay here in Paris or San Francisco, I'd have said, fine, I like it, <laughs> this is good. You know, it wouldn't have bothered me. Yeah. Okay, as the godfather, um, not self-professed, this is what the, the New York Times say about you, the godfather of... Um, I'm looking for the violin case. <laughs> Backpacker and adventure travel, what pearl of wisdom or pearls of wisdom can you leave our, our modern-day traveller with? Oh, travel light, you know, that's, that's far and away. The, every time I see some, someone dragging this enormous bag around behind them, you know, it's really, it's, it's you know, it's, everyone starts off doing that. Think, oh, I need this, I need that, I need something else. You don't, you know, you, you and you soon find out you don't. Um, you know, okay, I'm, I'm about to fly to Europe in ten days' time, and I will have a lot of stuff with me for assorted reasons. But um, but generally, you know, I travel everywhere with a carry-on bag. Thank you so much Not for taking time to chat to us. And I'm glad I let you get some frequent flyer miles. In <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be worth the cab back, the flight back, the train back and That's the ferry right. all in reverse. And the cup of coffee here. Was yeah, good the cup of Thank I'll, you. I'll, I'll pick the coffees up. Thank you very <laughs> much. Problem. Well, that wraps up our chat with Lonely Planet co-founder Tony Wheeler, recorded here live in Melbourne. Yeah, cheers. Thanks to the coffee, Tony. Uh, next week we're back in the studio exploring Tonga. In the meantime, if you know someone who loves travel as much as you do, please tell them about us. Yep, you can find the latest episode through all the popular podcast apps and players, but one of the easiest ways we reckon to listen is just to go to worldnomads.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you said that Tonga is next week. Indeed. See you then. Amazing nomads. Be inspired.